0: So we, uh, the first interview we we did at Monster Palooza on the Sunday morning was with Steve Laporte, who is, if you don't know Steve Laporte, you certainly know his work. Beetlejuice for which he won an Academy Award along with V-Neal and uh, yeah if you check out his IMDB it's pretty impressive but aside from the amount of work he's done and the quality of his work it's how generous he is Uh, he gave us a lot of his time he has recently retired which is a bit of a misnomer because he is hardly going to be living the life of leisure he is just
1: walking a different path,
0: and as he put it, I think it was a very, very good piece of advice: is that is the idea is to retire into something, not from something. And it was basically we had like a bunch of questions we wanted. To, we had an angle that we wanted to start the conversation with, and after about five minutes, we I think we were just both there just sat there and shut up because hey, he was just spilling out said pearls more of than wisdom. 20 word, words between us? We just there's nothing to say. It was, he was just. I was, Endless streams I was, of wisdom. It was, I was amazing.
1: Thralled, and and the people he's worked with and the things that he's done is there's a book in that that he can do in his work on in his spare time because he's he's got stuff coming up that he's working on that's gonna get released and people will find out about in the near future. I'm, I'm not going to give any of it away, but I can't wait. I'm. I, put me down, Steve. I want. I want one of everything.
0: Yeah, he's um, he was there also doing he, he recreated the Beetlejuice makeup with V-Neil and they did um, Beetlejuice and Lydia mm-hmm. makeup looks which was pretty cool to see um, Beetlejuice one of those movies I saw again at the right age to just fuel the fire that was my desire to work in makeup time, effects it's
1: still still as good as the first time I saw it well,
0: that's a good thing about good design isn't it it's just yeah. kind of timeless it was amazing he was very generous with his time we we chatted outside the PPI booth just by there and behind us was Aaron. Mike
1: and Aaron were getting ready for their
0: Rick Baker tribute makeup what mm-hmm. recreating one of his self portraits so we just surrounded and then on the side we had Lois Bowell and you had Fred Kennedy so just it was it was just oh, just too much it was I crazy like
1: a gate mouth
0: it was amazing. So we we had a good chat with him. Um, apologies for the audio towards sort of the the second half of this because we were by uh, sort of a, an alien animatronic animatronic thing that kept cycling through some sounds and stuff. So it gets a little bit kind like a haunted house. So uh, that that kind of cut in. But Steve's information and. His energy was so engaging that it kind of didn't bother me, but I'm aware that it's on the audio, so I'm going to try and clean it up as much as I can when I master this and tweak it, but... Um,
1: he is clearly someone who loves life. But you never you know, really stop. I never really stop. I've, I have so many other things I want to do. Um, I was contemplating it you know, about a year ago. Um, I worked with a lot of... Great people in the business, and some retired early. I, I spent a lot of time working with Ken Chase, who retired at sixty, and Fred Blau retired at sixty-two. And I'm sixty-two. Um, my wife's a few years older than me, and I felt you know this is time to spend more time with the family. And my daughter just had a they'll probably appreciate it. Yeah, my daughter just had a baby, so I got a grandson. Yeah, yeah. I'll be doing life cast of him when he's two, probably. Um, I'm fortunate enough to have a little studio behind the house, so I'm clearing it out, getting rid of a lot of the bigger effects stuff or prosthetic stuff I used to do. And I'm gonna concentrate on art and building stuff and doing small prosthetics and character and, and teaching and sharing, sharing the wealth of information that has been passed on to me by you know, Tom Berman and Rick Baker and John Chambers and Dick Smith and Ken Chase and Freddie Blau and all these other makeup artists some of which are kind of famous, some were semi-famous, some people have never heard of. But there's so much that's been given to me that I see a need to give back to the upcoming generation because they're not going to have access to the people that I had access to. And unless... When, when, you know, when we started out, you, yeah. couldn't, you couldn't go to school and learn Right. I mean, I, I came out here in 1979, is right after Star Wars came out, and that's what inspired me and pushed me forward. Oh, I got to do this! I saw um, what did I see? Oh, I saw a movie called The Devil's Reign that Tom Berman had done. And my I was late for work, having seen the movie. I was working in Long Beach, and I ran back to work, apologizing all the way. But I had to see this movie. And after that, I saw Star Wars a year or two later, mm-hmm. and then I picked up a copy of *Cinefantastique*, which is not even around anymore. Um, but that was a different look and view of the industry, uh, kind of a, what I call a cleaner look at it, rather than a *Fangoria*, which is a horror genre uh, look at things. A more antiseptic Yeah, and then you know, *Cinefex* came out, and so so magazines like that uh, inspired me to do things, but. When I came out, no one had a lab except Tom Berman. It was Tom Berman, and Stan Winston was in there painting stuff in his spray booth. Stan didn't have a lab yet. Um, Rick Baker worked uh, at his home. He had a shop in his garage and a little makeup place behind his house. I remember going to meet Rick, and he, I knocked on the front door, and he walked around the side of the house barefoot and said, Oh, come around here, and that's how I met Rick. So when I met all these people, it was pretty much... A, a down-to-earth, you know, experience. It wasn't surrounded by this, this kind of like madness that you see here at Monster Palooza. But the cool thing about Monster Palooza is you see the craftsmanship. Mm-hmm. Once you get past the blood and the gore stuff, you start seeing the craftsmanship, and I can certainly appreciate what it takes and the hours. And weeks and months it takes to make some of these things.
0: Well, this is what I noticed yesterday. There's a, a head that a guy I know called Pat Fode is And there's a, a Yafet Koto head sculpt. Yeah. Uh, in front of the Dick Smith stand. Right. And uh, I know he's been working on it for over a year. Yeah. You know, on and off. No, and you see it here. And it's a lovely sculpt. And it's beautiful. Right. But it's one of so many things. It, it is. It kind of gets swallowed it up. It does get so lost. You do need to be made aware of what things are important. And I guess there's different here. It's not like IMAX, here. Yeah. It's a different thing. So so in so
1: many of the things that I've done and the way I've done my career is all been disposable. Mm. You do a makeup, you clean off end of the day, and it goes yeah. in the trash. Yeah. You know, I had a shop for a short period of time, and <laughs> produced some pretty cool stuff. But I don't have copies of things. I threw the molds out. I had a collection of molds, about twenty molds, I've been keeping in my storage behind my shop, saying one day I'm going to pull these out and do beautiful display heads out of them. And I've got, like, the Three Stooges and Abbott and Costello and and some cool horror stuff. And at the time, uh, George Duchel worked with me, Rob Berman worked with me, Mike Miesmer, a really good sculptor named Linda Frobos. Uh, So I assembled a really good team, and we knocked out this really cool job that was supposed to be a chase through a wax museum. So the pieces were supposed to look kind of waxy. Well, now silicone has come into play. Yeah,
0: yeah. So I've got these... Mm -hmm.
1: Used once molds just waiting for me to do something with. So I'm sure that, you know, that'll give me a little time to, to be creative. I've learned so much more in the business just from day to day, you know, how to paint silicone, how to work with silicone. Well, i have got some wonderful cream yeah, palettes too. Man. Yeah, I, I, well, too, I came up, I was, when I was on Lost, I had a, a lot of people that I was kind of training and working with at the same time. And I wanted everyone to work out of the same palette. Of colors, so if they had to copy a makeup or do a character makeup or distressed makeup, they had one little palette they could work out of. So I came up with a palette called Freckle and Hide. I have and one of those. Yeah, so you I came up of those? with those. They sell them here? No, I'm out of them. I totally sold out. Okay. Nanner, nanner, nanner. And uh, so, and that's. Uh, I came out with that, I came out with one called Clown Alley, because I have a background with the circus and clowns and stuff. So Which I'm fascinated about. Well, that. that's a whole other story, yeah. you know, and so I came out with these makeup palettes to allow other people to copy my color system. And I'm a big fan of teaching with minimal colors and blending and, and you know, a case that's, you know, a 12 by 12 by 6 feet inches instead of a monster case with all this stuff. I was, you know, Tom Berman taught me a lot, you know, paint like it's oil paintings, Thin things down with alcohol, use grease paints so I applied that technique to, to Freckle and Hyde and the other palettes I've come up with I've come up with some cheaper palettes, one's called Frightmares, one's called Carnival and they're made for doing like Day of the Dead and Zombies and Beetlejuice characters and, you know, Gothic characters and they're cream based, they're really easy to use, they don't sell well because I'm not out there promoting Now I have the time to do that. Now I have the time to teach classes, do workshops, show people how to work from basics. You know, when you're working on set and you have to carry what you need on your body, you have to work with minimal stuff. Absolutely. And... And invent things right there. If you have to turn around and grab a piece of Kleenex and glue it to someone's face and do a wound with it, you need to know how to do
0: that. Ironically, that's the same kind of mindset as when someone's starting out. Absolutely. When they can't afford and they don't know what to have, you know. yeah. Yeah. You know I mean, it's, like it's, it's, doing, it's, it's Yeah. Uh, the
1: Dick Smith book, you know, the famous monsters book. I picked that up when I first moved out here. Or actually, when I first came to LA and started buying makeup supplies and stuff, like in '75, and that was my bible for a while. That and Corson's book. Yeah. And, you know, I really followed that and was doing stuff out of kit. So out of kit is something I really love to do and teach and pass on because most people are intimidated when they see a really beautiful silicone appliance. So they see this really fantastic sculpture and, you know, they have some clay and a popsicle stick. Yeah. So they're intimidated sometimes by the professionals that come out with these beautiful makeups. And I've had so many people come up and talk to me. And because most of the demonstrations I've done at PPI have been one appliance and a lot of illustrator color and out of kit techniques with tissue paper and telesists and I teach how to create a character with minimal things, mm-hmm. yeah. not a full coverage appliance. As much as full coverage appliances are fantastic and great and can really change a character, I really enjoy the subtle the subtleties yeah. of it. Yeah. You know, that was something I that was it's not the yeah. tool, it's the operator. It yeah. really is. And I think that It's easy for people to be caught up nowadays with the the buy-it-off-the-shelf life and world that we live in in the film industry. And it's kind of frustrating when you go through a lot of work to build something for a show, and you see that it's either cut out of the film or cut out of the TV show, or they don't shoot it properly because of a time schedule. And that gets a bit frustrating. I think that that... Combined with some physical health issues I've had, you know, i got a bad back and neck and knees and all that junk. But that and not being able to do what I wanted to do artistically and family matters, those things all at the same time helped me make my decision to stop the kind of work I was doing now, be more like an active, retired artist in the industry, and do another decade of something else while I still have the time and the youth to do it.
0: Yes.
1: And it's great to have that time at home and not get up at 5 in the morning. I mean, I actually set an alarm clock to Amen. get up today, but it's so much better. I It's it's really hard. It's like they're going to take me screaming out the back door of retirement. But as a few months, of, there's a whole waiting period to go through the paperwork and the process. Right, right. And I finished, I finished Code Black, season 3 of Code Black. And by that time, I had to have a hip surgery. So... That was a time. My son sat down. And he goes, "Do you want to work because you have to, or because you need to?" So I started doing all my numbers, and I could afford to not work as much, and you know, collect my pension, and do a little side work through my LLC, and be a consultant. And I started painting and drawing again, going to classes. And you never completely retire. No, I build stuff. I mean, I help build our house. So I come from a, you know, my stepdad and my dad taught me how to change oil on a car and put shingles on a roof and build toys that you couldn't afford to buy so i come from that that area in life and a lot of people don't have that you know when i grew up we had shop class Mm -hmm. you know i built crossbows um bookshelves i did woodworking i did bookmaking i did photography i did print setting type so there's so many things i've learned in life growing up And then in the circus, when I got involved in the circus and went through clown college, they taught us how to make shoes, how to make wigs, how to make an impression, how to make noses, how to do makeup. That's something you don't really think about. No, how to make costumes. I learned to sew on an industrial sewing machine. And then I got into kite flying when I was later on in my career, so I started designing kites, you know, four-line and two-line stunt kites with carbon fiber and and I could sew, so I started studying aerodynamics, and then I started flying airplanes, so I did so many things. Because the, the business afforded me the time and the financial, you know, where, wherever to do it, it, it allowed me to have a really full career and a full life. And awesome. I'm, I was able to, you know, I got my 37th anniversary coming up next week, And I've got, you know, my adopted son Jason's got two kids, two daughters who've grown up. One's 19, one's 13. My other daughter, who's 35, she's a teacher, a school teacher. She's a science teacher. So she pulls me in on show and tell. I've made artificial guts for her out of gelatin and silicone (laughs) and brought the kids in and showed them how to use a gram scale and talked about weights and balances. And if they got a little rowdy in the class, I would call them out on it and... It was. It's been really fun, and my wife and my daughter both have helped me do live casts of actors when they've come to the house. So, although there's that big studio mentality, I've always had that down home. Come over to my house. We'll go in the back of the shop. We'll do a face cast. We'll talk about the makeup, and see you later. And you know, I've had Anne Margaret to my house. I've had Hallie Berry to my house. Jason Priestley. I've had so many actors just come through my house. John Ritter, you know, they just come to the house. And I always equated that to Dick Smith's way of doing things. When I met Dick in person, uh, the first time, Jill Rockow introduced me to him. Right after I was, I think I was still going out with my wife. We went to the, um, it was a gathering in town to try to get the Academy Award its own category. And everyone in attendance had to bring a letter to the Academy, so I brought my letter. And I see Jill on a street corner says so you got to meet Dick Smith. Well, of course, you know, I've written to Dick Smith a couple of times, we'd exchange letters. So she introduced me to Dick, and that was the first time. And after that, the uh, letter writing started and comparing notes and phone calls. And he loved doing that. and he was great and I was on a show with Gary Busey. It was a really difficult show uh, keeping up with Gary, but it was an age makeup on Gary all foam rubber appliances, and I started doing it in grease paints and stuff, but at one point, we were in Atlanta, it was so hot and sweaty, and I'd seen the makeups he had done on Amadeus, and I'd heard about this Pax paint stuff, and I called Dick, and he talked me through a couple of long conversations on the phone, how to transition from one scene to grease paint to Pax. And he talked me through it, and is able to make that transition on that movie, on those makeups, so Gary wasn't sweating the makeup off so much, it was hot there. He was a football coach. It was the Bear Bryant story, and it was all age stipple and little pieces, and it was a tricky show, you know, mentally and physically to get through it. But I was really young in the business, and it taught me a lot. So Dix was a great influence, and then I met V. Neil. God, man, like I've known V like 39 years. Met her on, on at Universal. I was working on the tour. Came, came down with a friend to do a Cheech and Chong movie. He was a big Hulk character, and I had been doing his makeup on the tour as the Incredible Hulk. So he got me down down on the lower lot, which was, you, know, you can't get in unless you know somebody. Mm-hmm. So I was walking through the makeup department, and V is in a, in a room prepping a wig and hair pieces, and we start talking, and she goes, you know, I've heard your name from somebody, and we had a mutual friend, and we started talking, and then I ran into her about a year later, On Under the Rainbow. And Fred Phillips, after I'd contacted Fred, I got his phone number from his daughter, I'd met her, and Fred called me to do lab work for him. So I'm non union, he's hiding me in a back room, I'm making pieces and double masks for the actors. So after my work was done, I would go in early, run foam, and put the molds in the oven and just hang out and watch people do bowl caps all day. So V and I struck out. You know, when you see 30 people doing bowl caps, for like two weeks, get it. great, <laughs> great learning. Yeah, you don't need no to kidding. do it yourself, and I'm I'm one of those kind of people. I can watch and observe and go and do it and succeed. Yeah. Well, that's one of the great things about being able to see these demos at PPI. If you
0: observe, if you pay attention to what's oh, sure. going on, see, you can honest. learn so.
1: Oh, much. absolutely! And I'm so lucky to get to, with people. yo know, Tom Berman took me by the hand and showed me how to mix mix colors how to put down a piece, how to set a bar that you're not always trying to reach for the heavens, but you have a, a range somewhere in between here, and I'm not saying it's good enough, but because of your, there's all these factors, time factor, the lighting, the tools, mm-hmm. and the patience of the actor, and how it's going to be seen on screen are so important. Well, the lighting is something that a lot of people completely forget oh, about. Oh, Absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, we had a conversation last night with a, a young up-and-coming makeup artist about about skin tones. And sure. um, the different colors in, in darker skin tones and in, in lighter skin tones. And right. It was really, you know, a whole color theory conversation. Oh, yeah. So it's, it's yeah. And, and Tom part. passed that along to me. And as I broke off and started getting other jobs and doing things and met V, and then V brought me in on a show. After her and I had worked on a little non-union movie with Jerry Lewis and Madeline Kahn. Oh, oh, wow. And that was I was hired to make the prosthetics. There was this kind of strange little movie called Slapstick of Another Kind. I saw that. And about know, two people saw it. It wasn't a very good yeah, film. And but, I was one of them. But, but Jerry wore prosthetics. He had a nose and ears and a forehead piece with air bladders in the forehead and teeth. And Madeline had the same thing. So V did Madeline and I did Jerry. So we're locked in a room with Jerry Lewis and Madeline Kahn for three hours of a day for several
0: months. She was amazing. And so,
1: you know, that really solidified our friendship and our working ability together. And she called me up when I got on, um, when I got in the union and we did Lost Boys together. And, you know, working with V on Lost Boys and that's where I met Greg Cannon and Rick had... When I first met Rick, he said, you need to come back to me in a year, do some more stuff, and show me something. Because you don't have a lot to show me. Well, after a year, I called him. He sent me to Rob Bottin. So all these different people have played this one small contribution to my career my life that I I can't forget. And it's important for me to be one of those people to someone else. You know, I, I, can, and I can guarantee to pass you it already on. have been. And I'm flattered when people come up to me and they pull a DVD cover up sign and they've got six of them. I go, wow, I guess I did all those little movies. And I made a choice at one point. You know, I've had like three different studios. And I made a choice. You know, once I got in the union, I started at NBC. I got my TV days in. Within two months, uh, Tom Berman saw an opportunity for me to get in my film card because he was redoing the makeup on Goonies. So he hired me to come in on Goonies, I got my film days, went back to NBC, completed a year, and moved on to Color Purple with Ken Chase. And then Golden Child with Ken Chase. And then Lost Boys with V. And then Beetlejuice with V. By that time I'd honed my skills so I was, you know, old enough and talented enough and experienced enough to
0: become somewhat of a supervisor and start doing my own show but this is when I came online those the movies I was watching and mm-hmm. I was you know 14, 15 and, I see yes. and they influenced me and that's why I'm doing stuff now it's, it's, oh, so know, it's moved on you, you've and been a
1: huge influence just in the time and since we've I was the worst sculptor when I started out but I picked up really quick and I was sitting and watching people make molds there's a mold maker in the union his name is uh, uh, Richard Ruiz well Richard was tootled by a uh, Werner uh, not Werner uh, Gunner Ferdanson. yes well I had a, a chance to work with both of these guys in a shop I was doing a a, a a bunch of test makeups and designs for a show called Cyberforce which never made it to the screen but it was at a company called All Effects mm-hmm. so they brought me in to do all the makeup designs and stuff and so I hired all these people from RoboCop I had these great sculptors you know Kent Jones um, Joe English, Tom Prosser, all these guys who sculpted and worked with Botine on Robocop came in and they were kind of biomechanical makeups and designs. And Richard Ruiz and Gunnerford Nansen were there every day. So I learned so much from mold making from these guys. And Rob Berman, who had, I'd known at Tom since he was a young guy, had done the thing with with Gunner. So And Gunner's amazing. Yeah, and I hire all these guys I can just to We have a camaraderie and a learning experience is nothing more fun than being in a bullpen full of makeup artists Mm -hmm. like on the Grinch you know I went in on Grinch and and Joe Harlow and I are docked next to each other and Richard Schnell is right there and 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 V's around the corner and and all these makeup artists were on this big soundstage doing makeups every day and hanging out on the set with our own monitor and and cleanups at the end of the day and on Fridays we had wine tasting and it was just a, an awesome experience, and wow. you don't see that too many times these days. Um, you see a lot of guys with, with white dots glued on their face, yeah. and it's CGI'd, or they do a makeup, and, and they'll come up and say, "Don't worry if it's not right; we're going to fix it post." And I just feel how sad that is. It's, it's heartbreaking, and yeah. And you know, and I started my career off doing films and features. And at one point, the phone stopped ringing, and I spent about six months not hearing from anybody. So I started day-checking around, and eventually, I got called to go do um, Lost. And that put me in the TV world, and it put me into a place where it was just me and whoever I could train and teach. And that's when I pulled up everything I'd learned. And that was probably the toughest job I'd ever had, because I was literally alone in Hawaii with very little help. I think that's me. And it was a great experience to really pull everything together, do everything out of kit quickly, efficiently, and pass it on for someone else to copy for another unit. And being in Hawaii was a great time. My wife went with me, and we lived there for nine months of the year for six years. It allowed me to step away from the business and and tackle it as an art and just enjoy life. When I came back, it was slow again, but I quickly got into it again, came right back for uh, Pirates 4 with Joel, so I was back in Hawaii again. Then they came back to L.A. and were going to England, and they couldn't take any of us, so I stayed there. And Jeff Dawn, who I'd worked on the Terminator movies with, had finished the last half of season of Lost with me. He got a show called Battleship. So I stayed for Battleship and did the Hawaii segment of that. Now, Jeff has gone back and done 5.0 for in his seventh year now. And I came back and continued doing television, like shows like Bosch and Longmire. And we just finished our third season of Code Black, um, which is all medical stuff, medical recreations. And I've, I got Margaret Becerra Prentice in with me. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter Montanya came in with me. Peter and I are old friends from doing Mr. Saturday Night together. And, you know, and Peter and I go all the way back to a period of my life where I was doing music videos. I went to a section, I'd, all I did was music videos. I did stuff with David Lee Roth as a giant fat guy. Right after he left Van Halen, he did a, 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 a video called Going Crazy. And I did him as the big fat guy. And then I did a bunch of stuff with Huey Lewis in the News. And I did, a, the same director who I'd worked with on another video brought me in to do this whole Frankenstein's castle sequence. So I did Huey as the mad doctor, and it's Frankenstein's monster, and all the guys in the band is these castle creeps. And that led to a video with the cars. I did the cars last video. Was these guys stuck on a spaceship, and all these alien women they meet. And it was their last video. It's just some, and then uh, Cherry Pie, the famous big grin on Janie Lane. Those things started coming my way. So I've had a real eclectic career of types of things. I never got pigeonholed in one thing. And I was able to, to go off and do all these really cool things. I, I always think at one point I was given a choice and I made the choice. Either you know pursue this or take this choice. And it's made a difference. When I worked with uh, Rob Bottin, I was there when uh, Steve Johnson was there. And you know the group who eventually went over from Robs to Ricks to do American Werewolf. I moved on to something else after Robs, and I kind of got out of that shuffle. And I would go to Ricks and kind of visit and hang out and see what was going on over there, and and never really worked at Rick's shop much. You know, I think he hired me a couple of days to go get supplies and assemble things for Video Drone. And I just you know I. I was just ready, wide, and open to do anything that came along, and I started doing these little low-budget, non-union little horror films. One thing led to the next thing, and then led to the next thing, and that path was my path that I was supposed to do. I, I look back, and sometimes you ask yourself, well, shoulda, coulda, woulda, it's all hypothetical. You can't li- live your life thinking about what you should have done, you know. you know, live it now, and. It's nice to focus on a future, but the future's not here yet. And you can scramble and chase trying to get the future you think you should have, but it's not going to present itself in the way you think it might. So doing things you like to do now, thinking for the future is good. Um, relishing the things you've had in the past is, is always been my motto and the way I go by it. I'm real. I'm a real sentimentalist. Um, I try to keep in touch with people that I've known all my career my life. And, you know, Facebook has helped with that. And, you know, Messenger. And so it helps you reconnect with people. And the way the, the media is now, you can expand yourself and do other things. And, and, and that's one of the parts of social media like when you, yeah. when you yeah. use it. Doing, you know, it can be uh, intrusive,
0: but it can also yeah, be very positive. It's having that discipline to still actively seek out good things and use it the right way. Yeah, like any, you know what I mean? Yeah, like anything. I think it's important to do. Well,
1: coming I, because I did spend uh, you know four years traveling with the circus as a performing clown and high stilt walker, I have the, the performance aspect still in me. It's in my blood. I love uh, sharing and talking and, and confronting people in a positive way and encouraging people because when I was 18 and left home on a trailways bus and all on my own I learned to trust and um, learn from the people around me and you know I was just a kid from Oklahoma and I'm in Florida working with people from every country of the world in a, a microcosm. The circus world is a microcosm of everything else. It's its own world. You know the movie business integrated with more regular life but the circus is not you know we lived on a train we traveled around you live in an arena you sleep in a little room on a train or a mobile home and it's really a different lifestyle and after four years of that and trying to learn everything I could about makeup I felt it was time to come out here so it equipped me with the tools I had to to deal with people with who are having a bad day or are having a bad attitude or just jerks to work with. I learned to finesse and work with people and appeal to their good side and their good nature and hopefully bring that out. And if I can leave someone smiling or laughing or happy at the end of a day, no matter how rough it's been on them or myself, then I feel I've done the right thing.
0: And now it's and the next chapter.
1: It's now it's the next Which chapter, like? and it's yeah. exciting because I found myself working so much and so long and so hard I was the the world was passing me by and I think you'll know, coming when I started coming to IMATS and Monster Palooza, I started socializing with all these other artists and other people that I hadn't seen and you get to appreciate each other's work and unless you're working on a show where you have a lot of other makeup artists with you you don't get to do that usually a you you're second and a few other people and you try to duplicate that show after show, use the same people, or you rotate people in and out. That's really your small world that you're in. And so that's why I've always liked working on these big shows. On Mr. Saturday Night, we had a bullpen of people doing 1920s, 1930s makeups. And although I was in the main trailer doing Billy with Peter, I loved to go walk through the bullpen to see what was going on and to share. And... and, you know, chat with people, and if I got a call for a day check on a show, it, to do beards or sideburns or whatever, I would jump at it. I, I've flown to work on uh, Vampire Hunter um, in New Orleans and Louisiana, just to do beards did, and mustaches you. and, and uh, you know, vampire Civil War guys, you know, it's really fun. Well, you never know where or who you're going to learn something new from. Yeah could be anybody no matter how good you get somebody could show you something well even what's great is I I worked on Van Helsing uh, with Greg I went over and kind of worked with the Frankenstein crew and you know Frankenstein didn't work a a lot so we had a lot of time on our hands they digitized the the female bride makeups which was one of the main things I was going to work on but after we did the makeups a few times and they videoed them and and digitized them we didn't have a lot to do so a lot of spare time I got to see Prague, I got to work with all these great people from another country, see how they do things. Well, sometimes they apply makeup with their hands, not a sponge. First experience I saw uh, a straight makeup going on with uh, a makeup artist in Budapest, uh, in another show I was on. they. Take the Visiora makeup with their hands, and they rub their hands together, and they put it on the. I'd never seen that technique. A more organic approach. And my introduction to makeup was clown makeup, which is putting it on with your hands, it's and you use, a, <laughs> you use a, you use a, you use a small stick to draw a line, or a fine brush, or, you know, a powder sock is not is something people have never heard of. You fill a sock with powder, tie a knot in it, and that's your powder puff. You never have to dip for powder. It's built right in. And I've used a powder sock all my life, either for making bald caps or powdering pieces that come out of a mold. All right, that's going in the kit. Yeah. I mean, powder socks. You stretch it over your baby powder. You squeeze it in there. You tie a knot in it. It's very clean. And, uh, you know, I did a little movie called Powder. Uh, Barney Berman helped me on it. I got him into the union on that show. It went union. Uh, Tom and Barry called me up and asked me if I could... You know, work and collaborate with them. So Barney and I went to do the makeup, and we had Sean in the makeup, and he's so delicate of a makeup. He shaved his head, shaved his eyebrows. We did this really fantastic airbrush makeup on him, and a lot of it was grease paint around the eyes and the mouth for touch-up areas. But his hands were critical in, in maintenance. So although he was airbrushed and powdered and and sealed. We always kept a powder sock handy, so whenever he was done working, we would hand him a powder sock. He always had a powder sock in his hand. So it kept him dry, powdered, and, and you know, pale. And
0: yeah. it, it was could take those, part in the maintenance. Yeah, exactly, yeah. if he put his hands in
1: his pocket, we could bust him on it, we could see where powder was. Yeah. And it kept him from touching things. It kept him from touching his hat, it kept him from touching his face. So it, it turned into a, a training tool. But, I mean, I've always taught things to people that were taught to me, simple things. Um, Sylvia Baker teaches a class at UCLA, uh, Rick Baker's wife, and she called me last week to ask if I would do a demonstration and talk on clowns. And clowns today have turned into something quite scary. I always tell myself I'll never do a scary clown because that's not what clowning was meant to be. I can certainly appreciate the art. And, and the techniques and the skill that goes into making our scary clowns that we see a lot, but to me, that's not what I was brought into. As far as what a clown is supposed to do, uh, a clown is supposed to capture the heart of a child, not scare him So, one campaign I'm going to do is to reestablish that that love, reclaim the a, clown.
0: You know, it's a great idea. Drawing, like you say, it's clown. just been Pennywise now. It's just, yeah, it
1: really has. And, you know, yeah, not that there's anything wrong with that, but it's just... Yeah, you, know, exactly and, you <laughs> know, Killer Clowns from Outer Space was one of the funniest things I've ever seen. I grew up watching Red but, Skelton. See, Red Skelton. And I was actually lucky enough to meet Red Skelton when I was a clown. Wow. And Dick Van Dyke when I was a clown. So it's, it's great to have met these people who had an influence on my life. And I've got a lot of famous people I've worked with. And another thing I want to work on in my spare time that I'm trying to find, and that would be something that I call the Clown Project, which is, um, there's three very famous clowns that I've worked with. One of them, his name is Lou Jacobs. He is the famous poster clown for Rending the Brothers for years. He's got a tall pointed head with a little hat on top and a big black smiley mouth. Well, Lou and I became good friends. We worked on the show together. I was lucky enough to do a face cast and a hand cast of him before he passed away. And there's another clown named Frosty Little, who was my boss clown when I first started the circus. He's a white-faced clown, classic skull-capped clown with a little hat on top. I did a live cast of Frosty. And another tramp clown named Mark Anthony, who I first met when I auditioned for the circus. And Mark was a, you know, the classic tramp, red skeleton-esque, Emma Kelly-type makeup. But Mark was an unusual guy because he was was known as a master clown in prop building and he was a production clown and his specialty was carving and sculpting and foam rubber. He would take a big block of mattress foam with a carving knife and overnight carve an elephant which you could turn wrong side out and it would be something else. So he taught me how to carve with an electric carving knife and little scissors how to make props out of mattress foam. So basically those are the three types of clowns you know white face Auguste which is Lou Jacobs and the tramp or character clown which is Mark Anthony so I want to use their live cast to do a, a full sculpture of all three of them in a collage Is the clown project if it goes further I would love to do their face on mine using prosthetics because I've done the measurements and I fit within their face my nose is big enough to fit within their nose. The space between the lips is there. I know their characterizations enough. So time being on my side. I have a chance to do something really cool and That's do some neat makeups. And no one's ever done it. So now that I just said it, I guess I'm gonna to have to do it. Oh, well, so, out there now. <laughs> it's out there now. It's out there now. So, And there's a lot of things. I've, I've also, I'm going to, I've come out with a makeup kit that I'm going to uh, I've designed a makeup case I miss the days of a makeup artist carrying his case to set is this different than the one. Than the it's different than the Porta case it's it's from the Porta case idea but it's the old fashioned it's a wooden case it's a front opening case I've posted a little hint of it on Facebook already but I'm going to make the case into um, a kit form that people can buy the kit and put it together customize it to their liking and have something that will last the rest of their career. That way, it makes it more economical and affordable, and it'll have people can add their personal touch on it. They can finish it in wood. They can put stickers all over it. They can carve on it. They can beat it up. They can do anything they want to with it. But it will. Be, it can become their trademark, their personal identity. Because I've carried a makeup case all my career, and. One in particular has always attracted people's eye. So using the look of that case and other ideas that, that I've had, um, Ken Chase was a woodworker when I met him. He gave me a case that was the first case he ever built for my birthday when I was working on a show with him. And I've used that case all, all that time at different shows, if it depended on it, to use it because it's such a beautiful case. I never wanted to carry it outside. It always stayed in a trailer. Well, I want to make a case that everyone can afford, everyone can do can do something with, to make it their own personal statement. You have a time frame? I have a time frame by, by, Mon- by Son of Monster Palooza, which is in six months. Yeah, that's coming so I've accumulated the, the tools and fixing my workshop to make these. Eventually, I have to farm them out probably to a, a cabinet shop to manufacture the parts for me because I, I don't be one of those guys that has to spend all my time building it. I want to to build about a half a dozen really cool-looking cases. And I'm going to build a CNC machine so I can do custom engraving into the wood so I can do some really cool stuff and take another side of my artisticness and put it back into the business. So someday I'll walk around and I can appreciate, oh, there's some guy carrying my case, and, oh, look what they did to it. And so not that I want to put something I did out there but contribute to what other people can add to it and, and be part of that next group carrying on and you know, if, if I can teach something to someone that they pass on that I learned from someone 30 years ago and 30 years from now someone else is doing it I took what was taught to me it went through me expanded it, paying it forward and I think that's really important to do Dick Smith was all about that Tom the Berman has always it. been it, and it's the spirit of this business, you know, no more yeah, secrets. And, and, and it's not like that in any other craft in the business. It's not. And I, I have a, also a philosophy, like, I will give people a lot of the formula, but I like to leave out two or three ingredients, because I think it's important for other people to add something else to it. is part of it. Yeah, I always get this joke, people call me, I'm always like the MacGyver, I'll take a product and I'll change it, or I'll add something to it, or I'll... You'll break something here and fix it the other way, so it's more usable for me personally. So people are always saying you're always going to leport something. You know, Jeff, us, oh, you're going to report that, and I've, all you know, right. so that's where the that's local, out that's, there now well, too. that's where the porta case came out. I was carrying all kinds of bags and stuff. I said, I got to make a case that carries Kleenex. So that's where the porta case came from. And you know, I, I love it. So, I wear, I wear one on the shoulder and one on the belt. And I'm out of them too. though so I've thought. i thought Man- about. Express, Man- well, everyone was. Everyone was talking about me doing a next generation. Uh, The soft case maybe is in the works, but right now the good old-fashioned wooden case, I'm making it lightweight so it's light enough. And it's not going to be a monster of a case. It's going to carry the essentials, and I want people to learn to work with the essentials. You know, and... I think
0: I said boom because... yeah. There is a danger; otherwise, everyone sort of making a product for a revenguality. Yeah. To try and take away the choice of the artist, and it you're is. burdened with having to learn. And that's well, you know, the and I also
1: had to make that choice: am I just going to be a, a monster guy or a, a horror movie guy, or am I going to be an all-around makeup artist? I got to be beauty, character, ball caps, beards, all that stuff. You the more know, the first, you know, the more you're going to learn. Absolutely, and you know, you may be working on a, a big rubber head, but if you have hair work experience that comes into play if you've only learned to do a beauty makeup you're you're kind of handicapped and some people are more adept to that and I can appreciate it I do a good beauty makeup I'm not a fantastic fashion beauty makeup artist because I've chosen not to go there and study it and and live that I've wanted to live every aspect of the business that I can so being on set working with the actors working with the directors not just being locked up in his shop. Um, and I'm just one of those kind of outgoing people. It was the right path for me to follow. And I keep talking about a path because we all have one. And a couple of years ago, I read a really interesting book um, by Dr. Wayne Dyer. It was called The Shift. And in the book, it also came with a little video that there's a point in your life where something starts rumbling within you and you say, Is this all there is and we spend so much of our life scrambling and hustling and trying to get ahead and achieve all these things and make money and be creative and and leave all these things behind and at one point you have to realize you have to change your life from ambition to a life of service and I'm at that point in my life it's time to share and, and serve the other people in this craft and in this world, in this community, it's going to make it a better life if I do it for other people, and hopefully, I always teach them to pass it on to their to the people they're teaching or, or representing. And it's important to you know to keep yourself in check. You know, if you're being a little uh, rough or brisk with people or short with people, keep yourself in check. You know, don't take that kind of an attitude home with you. And don't pass it on to the next generation. If you're a jerk to somebody because you're either impatient or having a bad day, they're just gonna think you're an asshole. You know? And you know, people can put you on a pedestal, you know, based on the work you've done. And I can certainly appreciate that people like what I've done and like what my co artists have done. But when we get home, we take our pants off one leg at a time like anybody else. Yeah. And you know, home life is something that is very important to all of us. And I think the more we visit and talk to each other and learn to know people on a, a much different level than just at work, it makes life so much more fulfilling. And so I'm looking forward to this next decade of, of you know, serving and working and teaching and retirement that's not really- yeah, retirement means you're doing something else to me. Well, you know, as artists, yeah. we do what we do because we can't not do it. Yeah, so, you know, yeah. I'm always going to be fidgety and doing stuff. And thank God it's, goodness I have a little workshop at home. And my wife does stained glass. And she's been crowded into one little corner for years. And she's taken some time off. And now I'm redoing my shop. And I, she came out the other day and I gave her her whole big, big work table that's mm-hmm. bigger than mine with a grinding wheel right by the sink and she goes is this for me? I go yes and you're going to use it because I'm going to be painting over there and, and doing woodwork right there and doing little rubber prosthetics over there and, it's, and I, my whole collection of life casts around the shop is there half of it is family and friends and the other half is actors I've worked with so it's, I'm constantly reminded of where I've been and where I'm going so, uh, you know, it's good times. I'm looking forward to it. amazing. <laughs> yeah. And I don't have to stand for 16 hours a day. You for that. Yeah. You know, Leonard Engelman once told me that uh, make sure if you're going to retire, you retire to something. And I said, oh, I have something to retire to. You know, now we're binge watching all those TV shows at night, but there's a lot of fun stuff that we can do. and. I put my. Wa- I started putting my watch away on weekends a couple of years ago. I just started taking my watch off because I've lived by the. I've lived by the clock for so long, and lived on a schedule, and tried to be efficient. And you know, I'm not the most efficient guy in the world, but I try to be at work. I've learned from people how to represent yourself in a clean, efficient, you know, manner at work. And my wife keeps a very tidy house, and thanks to her, I keep a lot tidier shop. <laughs> she's all over me. She's she, been a she probably let you know she's been my good, better half. You know, once I met her, I was a struggling artist, and it seems like the universe sent work my way. And we had our first baby, and you know, life has been great. Thirty-seven years, 37 years next week. <laughs> yeah, congratulations. So, it's all been great. But it's certainly great to see you guys here and talk with you. It's great Thanks, man. Thanks for your time. Uh, yeah, it's been awesome.
0: Well, that was a thoroughly enjoyable hour of our time just sat there listening to Steve. Uh, I think you'll agree, just a very generous spirit and just the the guy just really cares about the stuff and uh, really does recognize where he came from or where he learned what he learned and he's very anxious and keen to to make sure other people know the things that he learned Uh, and it's one of those things you know it's like I've taught classes where I've been like on private classes where people you know are there because they really want to be and I've been I've taught other classes where it's been like a college or something and Almost half the class are there kind of reluctantly because they had to do something. Otherwise, their parents were going to kick them out of the house. So they agreed to do a course and they ended up doing a makeup class and uh, they thought it might be easy or whatever. And sometimes you have to have enthusiasm on behalf of other people. And it's very frustrating when you care deeply about a subject. And uh, you don't get that kind of energy back from people sometimes. But uh, I think you'd agree that Steve just just oozes this kind of calm, nice, pleasant energy. And he really cares about what he does. And he cares uh, that you know about it, too, and wants to point you in the right direction. It's not about climbing over you to to get to the top. It's about, you know, just uh, fostering a very good attitude and, and, and uh, a very generous spirit. And having that himself, but then ensuring that you kind of leave with it, too. You kind of feel and improved by your time with him um, so I think it was fantastic and I, I thoroughly encourage you to check out some of the names of the people he, he mentioned some of those you may have heard uh, before and some of them if you go back over and just make a note of some of those names and look them up and also that book as well which I'll put a link to that in the show notes for this podcast so thanks again for listening if you uh, want to get in touch as always you can email us direct it's Stuart and Todd at gmail.com or you can look us up and leave a comment on our Facebook page um, and obviously if you really enjoy this stuff and you like what we're doing please let us know but the best thing anyone can do to help us out is to tell your friends about us if you know somebody that likes makeup of stuff or makeup effect stuff and you think they would enjoy this podcast then please do let them know mention on social media link us in you know forward and share the episode of this podcast or just the podcast in general and we'll try and gradually build a following of people that really dig it hopefully like you do we certainly enjoy making them and uh, we're very grateful for you to giving us your time to listen to this stuff so thank you again and we'll catch you on the next one